What's up, collective? It's been a while since I've been here, and I have missed you guys. I hope you're doing well. It looks, it's good to look out and see faces that I recognize, faces that I haven't seen before or haven't seen for a while. So I thank you for being here tonight, and I hope that you will be blessed by this. If not, come back next week. Someone else will bless you, okay? Um, I get to kick off this series called Skeletons in the Closet, and tonight we're going to talk about public sin versus private sin. And I want us to start out in the book of John with the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. So if you have your Bibles with you or on your phone, go to John chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1, and it says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And I'm going to pause there for just a quick second so we don't miss the background of this story. Jesus is in the temple courts, and it says all the people gathered around him, and he began to teach them. So there's Jesus surrounded by a large, captivated audience. Okay, let's go on to chapter or verse 3 the teachers of the law and the pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery they made her stand before the group and said to jesus teacher this woman was caught in the act of adultery caught in the act of adultery the act so this was this was before victoria had a secret so most likely this woman has been brought out naked in front of this group of people, okay? So let's keep going. So, so they, they bring her out, they stand her in front of the people, and they say, hey, you know, we just caught her in adultery. And they continue on to say, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So there's a couple things going on in this part of the text. Number one, both parties committing adultery, according to the law, both were supposed to be executed. But where, where is the man in this story? They only brought out the woman, but there's no man. So this suggests to me that their, their end game is not to like uphold the law. That's not their concern. They're here to trap Jesus, to put him in a position where they can find fault in him. Because you see the... Um, according to the Romans, the Jews were not allowed to carry out death sentences. So if Jesus had said, stone her, then he would have been in conflict with the Romans. But if he had said, do not stone her, then it would appear that he was unsupportive of Jewish law, and then he would be in conflict with the Jews. So they thought, we've got him in a catch-22. Either way he goes, we can find fault in him. So let's keep going. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I love this part of the story because this is how I know that Jesus was the real OG. Okay, he's stoops down, he's writing in the ground, and they're firing questions at him, like, what would, what do you say? What would you do? And they're just so anxious for him to answer because they cannot wait to catch him and accuse him. And he simply stands up and says, 
if you're perfect, you stone her. And then goes back to writing on the ground. Now that's a gangster move if you ask me because, I mean, Jesus is like, he knows what they're trying to do. He knows they're trying to trap him. And he's like, you know, I don't have time for these fools. I'm trying to teach people here. And he just stands up and he flips their own game on them. If you're perfect, you stone her. And let's see how they responded. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. They ran. They're gone. They knew that they had failed in their attempt to trap him, and they knew that they could not throw a stone at that woman because they too were sinners. So they just turned and ran. But look at this. This woman who's been brought out naked in front of this crowd of people, this has to be excruciatingly embarrassing, right? All of her, I mean, literally exposed before Jesus and this crowd, and she doesn't move. She's still standing there, right next to Jesus, and she waits for his response. This story illustrates two very different groups of people. There's the woman who is exposed in her sin, and then the teachers and the Pharisees who run away and hide and conceal their sin. One of those received healing and new life that day because one of those stayed right by Jesus. Even though it was hard, even though they were embarrassed, even though everyone was looking at them and their shame, they, she stayed right next to him. And what did she receive? Healing. And I have to imagine that this was a pretty memorable moment in her life. And it was probably a turning point I think if I was brought out in front of everyone in the temple court naked and all of my sins exposed, I would probably go, hmm, maybe I should do something different. And the Son of God looked at her and said, I, I don't condemn you. Just go and leave your life of sin. It's a pretty incredible experience. And we're talking about skeletons in the closet, and I think a lot of times um, when we hear that term, we think that that's like things that we have hidden. Like we, we, we put the bodies in the closet so no, nobody would know, right? But as I was working through this message, it started to occur to me that maybe, maybe our private sin is making us the skeletons in the closet. If you think about it, how does a body or a skeleton come to be in a closet in the first place? Well, we start out as healthy thriving human beings. And then slowly we begin to hide ourselves because we don't want anyone to see our sin. We don't want to be ashamed, so we close it off. But there's no sustenance, there's no light in the closet, so we begin to decay. And then we start cutting people off, we start keeping them at a distance because decay stinks. And we don't want to be ashamed and we don't want to be found out, so we start pushing them away because we don't want them to smell the decay on us. 
And that sin just continues to eat away at us until we are nothing more than dry bones hidden in a closet. I want to talk to you today about private sin and the power of confession. The woman in this story did not confess her sins. She was exposed. But the Bible tells us, be sure your sin will find you out. What you do in the dark will eventually come to light. And I'm telling you tonight, it is better for you to confess. It's better for you to put it out there, to just say, this is how I struggle, this is where I failed, than to be exposed or accused. So we're going to go through three pitfalls of private sin and the benefit of confessing. I want to start with the first pitfall of private sin, which is that private sin persists or perpetuates. Unaddressed, unconfessed private sin will persist. The difference between persistent and non-persistent sin is think of like uh, living with someone before marriage versus having sex outside of marriage once. This was a one-time it's a one-off, right? But if you're living with someone before you're married, you're persistent. It's a persistent sin. And that might be a little hard to keep private, but I'm guessing that if that's your sin, there are at least a few people in your life that you try very hard to conceal that from because they'll be disappointed. You Maybe it's grandparents, parents, pastors, friends. But that's a persistent sin. Another example would be looking at porn every day versus having a fleeting, lustful, lustful thought about someone as they go by. One is just a thought here and gone. The other is something you engage in every day, willfully. It's persistent sin. We tend to think, I haven't gotten caught yet. I keep getting away with it, so I'll just keep doing it. But the problem with persistent sin is that there's no repentance. You can't say, I'm really sorry, I'm really broken over what I'm doing, but I'm going to keep doing it, and I know I'm going to do it tomorrow, and I'm going to do it the next day, too. That's not a repentant heart. What God desires is a repentant heart. We are to despise our sin and turn away from it. Sin that perpetuates is something a little different. Think about David. When he committed adultery with Bathsheba, in order to cover up that adultery, he sent her husband out to certain death. Murder to cover adultery. The sin perpetuates. And we do the same thing when we lie or conceal to hide our sin. We're just compounding the sin. We're just using one to cover the other, and then it perpetuates. So what's the benefit of confession here? The benefit of confession is that we break the cycle of persistent and perpetual sin. When we confess, we're acknowledging that what we're doing is wrong and that we have a desire to turn from that behavior. We're repentant. We also open the door for accountability. It's really easy to continue sinning when nobody knows about it because they're not there asking you, like, hey, did you, did you look at porn last night? Did, did you have sex with your boyfriend again? It's really easy to just go on doing what you're doing because you're in the dark and no one can see. But when you confess it, you open the door to accountability, which sounds scary, but it's actually a beautiful thing 
Because where Satan wants you is in the dark by yourself trying to battle this sin on your own because he knows that he can defeat you there. But you confess it and you put it in the light and you invite somebody in and they can be praying for you. They can be holding you accountable. They can be helping you to overcome the sin that you're struggling with. It won't persist if you bring it into the light. Pitfall number two. Private sin destroys us from the inside out. Private sin has a negative effect on your emotions, on your mood, on your actions. We lie and cover and play this chess game to hide what we're doing. We feel shame because we know that we're hiding something. We know we're not being real. We experience stress and anxiety, fear that someone might find us out or what will we do when they find out or how will they react when they hear what I've been doing. This leads to sleeplessness, depression, irritability. It starts to affect how we act outwardly. We distance ourselves from people again. We have mood swings. We have bouts of depression. We are incapable of functioning at our highest capacity because we're dealing with this, not only the sin, but all the feelings and the things that come from the sin, and we're keeping it all inside. And it's going to come out somehow. And usually it comes out as negative, hurtful behavior. So what's the benefit of confessing? James 5.16 says this. Sorry, the benefit is that it brings healing. My bad. James 5.16 says, Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confessing our sins to one another brings about healing. Things don't get restored or redeemed in the dark. They must be brought to light so that the healing can begin. I get nervous every time I have to go to the doctor when I think that there might be something wrong and I have to go in there. I get nervous about what they might find or figure out about me. But if I don't go there and they don't find it, they don't know, then they can't treat it. And then it grows and it festers and it becomes something that is harder to treat or impossible to treat. And it's the same thing with our sin. If we don't confess it, it grows and it festers and it gets out of control and then we cannot overcome it. And it begins to overcome us. We don't want people to know that we're struggling. We don't want our faults found out. We don't bring them to light and experience the healing. So confessing stops this cycle of destruction and allows us to begin the healing process. Pitfall number three is that private sin destroys relationships. We've kind of already touched on how it causes us to distance ourselves from people because of our guilt and our shame. Um, we're not our authentic selves because you cannot be authentic when there's something that you're hiding and keeping from people. You're not giving fully of yourself. But there's, on a larger scale, Sin causes a breach in our relationship with God. 
Think about the very first sin. Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, and, and then they hid themselves because immediately they knew that their relationship with God had been fractured, so they hid from him. And then when he confronted them, instead of confessing, they just placed blame. Adam said, the woman that you gave me, gave me the fruit. He blamed both of them in one swoop, God and the woman. And she said, the serpent deceived me. They're still not ex acknowledging their own responsibility for their sin, and they're kicked out of the garden, and they're out of God's presence. It causes a separation between us and God. A lot of times, relationship problems aren't really relationship problems. They're personal problems or sin problems that spill over into our relationships. A lot of times we can conquer all the challenges in our relationships if we just receive victory over our own sin. So the benefit of confession is that confession restores. Proverbs 28, 14 says this, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. If we confess our sins, if we turn away from them, we obtain mercy. Our relationship with God is restored. Now, we don't have to confess to God because he knows exactly what we do all the time, what we think, everything about us. But when we confess, we are demonstrating that repentant heart. We are telling God, I know that this is wrong. I'm broken over this sin, and I want it to change. It's a, it's a heart move. It, dis it demonstrates something to him, and it, it causes us to move in that direction. God is merciful and gracious. I mean, think about that, that the God of the universe knows everything about you, everything you have done, everything you're doing now, everything you will do, and he still loves you. And I think sometimes our fear in confessing is that people will leave us, people will, uh, they'll turn away from us, they'll judge us, they'll point fingers at us, and they might. They might. But a lot of times you will be confronted with grace and with love. And there's healing that comes from that. And even, even if everyone in your life turned and walked away because they were so disgusted by your sin, first of all, let them walk away. Because they shouldn't have been throwing stones in the first place. But second of all, think about what you're left with. Even if everyone turns and leaves you, who are you left with? Jesus. And that's all that you need. And you confess, and you begin to heal and restore, and you have no idea what God is going to do with you and through you. So don't sweat what other people are going to think about you. Don't hold sin inside and allow it to destroy you because someone else might think less of you. They are carrying their own sin and their own baggage and their own shame. So don't deny yourself healing. Confess and embrace it. Because real relationship happens in an authentic space where we can be honest about how we fail and how we struggle.
If somebody loves you, if they know everything about you and they love you, that's how you know that's real love. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone and you think, they probably wouldn't love me if they knew what I did or what I'm doing or what I'm thinking about doing? Have you ever felt like that? Like you, you got to keep some things to yourself because they just might not feel the same way about you if they knew. Imagine confessing everything to someone and they still look at you and go, I, I love you. I'm here for you. Like how freeing that is, how, just how confident you can be in that relationship that they do absolutely love you, no doubt about it. it there's so much freedom and healing inside of that. And we rob other people of healing when we refuse to confess. I want you to read this quote from Rick Warren. I stumbled across this and I thought, this, this is absolutely beautiful and I wish we would all take this to heart. He said, other people are going to find healing in your wounds. Your greatest life messages and most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. Don't limit how God can use you because you're too ashamed to be honest about your failures. I stood on this very stage a few years ago, and I shared my deepest, darkest sins. And you know what happened? I can't tell you how many people came up to me after that and said, my story is like your story. And now I feel the freedom to be honest about it. My testimony gave people who struggled with drug use or premarital sex or abortion or countless other things. It gave them license to be honest about where their struggle was, to be honest about the shame and the burden that they were carrying. And they experienced healing and God healed me through that too. You can give yourself and someone else the greatest gift by just being honest about where you struggle, about going, hey, I've been doing this and I don't want to anymore, but I need help. And they might look at you and go, I used to do that too, and I got victory, let me help you. No idea what God has in store for you when you just open your heart and be honest about what's going on. So start, start by confessing to God. Confess to someone that you trust. And then when you feel good about it, confess to one of your pastors or a small group or close friends. Just unburden yourself. I wish that you could experience that freedom right now. I wish I could describe that feeling for you, but I, I can't. You just need to know it for yourself. You will never regret just letting that go. Do not allow Satan to twist you up with the sin that you have kept hidden. Don't become the skeleton in the closet. Don't walk away from Jesus and keep your sin hidden. Confess and know that you will find grace and mercy. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those in Christ. You don't have to be afraid to be honest about what you're going through. 
You don't have to be afraid how people will feel about you. You don't have to be afraid that Jesus will leave you because he said, I will not forsake you, and he won't. The only thing that you should fear is becoming the pile of dry bones inside the closet. Don't become that. Don't let it eat you alive. Enjoy all the benefits of confession. Let the sin go. Let the hurt go. Let the shame go. And step into healing and restoration. And I bet if any of you in here tonight were to take that step, that you could come back to me and say, that was one of the best things I ever did, was to just own up to what was going on and just let God work it out. We all have a decision to make tonight. For some of you who have not accepted Christ yet, your decision is easy. You have no idea the grace and the joy and the hope that you will experience. And all you have to do is make a confession of faith. Just get in that water and confess that he is the Son of God, that you want him as your Lord and Savior, and let that grace wash over you. Watch your life change. From the inside out, he will begin to heal you and change you and work through you. And I wouldn't put that off for another day. If that's you, I would take that step tonight, no matter how scary it is, no matter what doubts you have, you don't have to be perfect to get in that water. You get in that water to be made perfect. So do that. The rest of you, those of you who have already been following Christ for some time, maybe you need to come up here and you need to just confess, God, this, this is what I've been doing. This is what I've been struggling with. This is what I need help with. I need your power to overcome. I need your mercy and then ask God, who is someone else that you could confess that to? Ask him to put that person in your path, to make it evident to you who the right person is. And I believe that God will lead you to someone who can walk you through your struggle. And maybe you don't know what it is. I mean, maybe you could be sitting here tonight going, oh, I'm not doing anything that I can think would be offensive to God. But there's always something that we could make better, right? And you could come up here and you could just say, God, search my heart. Reveal any fault you find in me and give me the boldness and the courage and the wisdom to just overcome it. Because ultimately what we want is a better relationship with him. What we want is victory over sin. What we want is for Satan not to have a stronghold on us, but just to walk in the freedom that Jesus died to give us. So let's unburden ourselves and let's start walking in that freedom. Will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are so good, so gracious, Lord. We are so thankful for the grace and the mercy that you freely give. God, we don't deserve it. Lord, I just... I ask for everyone in this room, everyone who can hear my voice, God, I pray that you would give them the courage to unburden their hearts, to come clean about those things that they've hidden in the closet, God, to put, bring those out into the light 
into your healing, perfect light, God, so that they can be redeemed and restored, so that their lives can be used as a testimony to your grace and your goodness, God. Use us, Lord, as instruments of your will. Search us, God, and reveal anything that you find offensive, Lord, and then help us to move away from it and closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.